And once again, take your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 12 as we this morning look at those last verses together from verse 36b through the end of the chapter. Again, to our guests, we're so glad you're here. Some that have been worshiping with us for a while, we're glad you're back. Others, perhaps for the first time, and we're glad that you're here. Pray that you'll be blessed by the folks of Covenant and by the Lord himself as you are blessing to us just being here this morning. John 12, we'll pick up with our reading. Verse 36, there's an interesting break that the people who versified the Bible years ago, and I'll remind you, that's not under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and this is one of those places where it's evident that it was not. Uh, they, uh, they took a spot that they should have stopped a little sooner. You'll see in some of your translations, for instance, I think in, in most of the printings of the ESV, you'll see verse 36 divided nice and neat for you as it more, uh, more, more properly should be. Verse 36 reads, while you have the light, believe in the sun that you, or believe in the light rather, that you may become sons of light. But then here's the remainder of what's often printed with verse 36, and we'll pick up with our reading there. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say, what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and forever. We're thankful to the Lord, aren't we, that he's given us his word so that we might know him, the one true God, and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's eternal life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And we ask now that you be pleased to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that pulse with life in faith. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John shifts the scene here. Jesus has stepped aside after this lengthy uh, discourse he's had with the Greeks and Jews intermingled. And it says that he departed and hid himself from them. Sounds like a sounds like a play. The reason I say that is because what John is about to do now is enter into uh, an epilogue. He's going to talk about why it is that people have not believed as they should have and you would think they would have. So he's going to explain it to us. And one of the things he's going to say in explaining it to us is that these things are hidden from us. That's why we won't believe. It's because we can't believe. And so interestingly, Jesus goes and hides himself. You get the picture? Jesus hides himself. They can't find him. They can't see him. They don't know where he is. Remember how this all started. We would see Jesus. And Jesus says, "Eh, sorry, that's not what helps. Seeing me is not believing in me. And so we've been looking at that for the past several weeks. And now we come to a bit of a shift. Jesus steps off to the side. He hides himself. And then John gives us the theology that goes with the picture. So it's a play with the theology. Not unlike what I've said to you many times, all of redemptive history, all of biblical history is just is just rife with theology. He gave us all of this history, all the narrative of the Bible to teach us theology, not just to tell us good stories. A lot of people have told good stories in the history of the world, but they're not full of good divine theology. I'm amused sometimes, you know, we, we find some good yarns occasionally and we start picking and saying, oh, he must have been talking about so-and-so, like Tolkien. Some fantastic yarns. Wonderful books. Great movies produced from Tolkien. And yet he said, contrary to his buddy C.S. Lewis, that he really didn't have anything in mind. He wasn't trying to make a theological point. 
doggone it if you can't see some things in there just because he was a Christian and maybe he wasn't consciously doing it. But God is consciously doing it when he tells the stories. And not just consciously doing it. We catch Lewis sometimes, don't we, in trying to tell a Christian story and he gets it wrong. It's a great story, but that's just not very good theology, C.S. Sorry. But when God tells the stories, it's always perfect because it's his story. So here we got Jesus stepping aside and he hides himself. Now John's going to explain it. What that is a picture of for us. But he's also explaining why, in verse 37... Why they don't believe. Did you notice? Jesus hides himself. Though he had done so many signs, they still not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. It fulfills scripture. And then we come to the end of this, this unit. And Jesus says, okay, you can't do it. Your eyes are blinded. Your heart's, your heart's hardened. Well, I've come to do it. I can shine a light so bright that it'll take the scales off your eyes. I can bring salvation where there is none. I can do for you what you do not possess the ability to do. And that's how the chapter ends. So let's get to it. But before we do, I've got four questions I want to lay out for you for us to just ponder and keep in, keep over here in the side or the back or somewhere in your mind as we work through this. First, has the light of Jesus, the light of the gospel, burst upon the darkness of your sinful hearts, or are you still living in darkness? That's the first question. Just keep that in your mind as we plow through this. Second, are your stiff-necked, stiff necks relaxed by the love of Christ? I want to tell you what, Christians can have stiff necks too. I stand up here every Sunday and see two or three. I wouldn't do it that way if I were him. Well, loosen up. Let the love of Christ change your heart, okay? Third, have the scales been peeled off of our eyes so that we see Jesus when we read the scripture? Or do we just read the scripture for a whole bunch more facts? finally, has the light become the guide for our lives through the dark days that we live in this fallen world? All right. Has the light of the gospel burst upon the darkness of your sinful hearts? Are your stiff necks relaxed by the love of Christ? Have the scales been peeled off the eyes of your your spiritual eyes so that you see Jesus, not just a bunch of facts in the Bible, And has the light become your guide for living in this world? 
First point from this text, the spiritual darkness that's described here that we see all over in this world is about ability, not simply will. Spiritual darkness is an ability issue, not just a will issue. Again, John's epilogue here is to shine some light on verse 37. Why did they not believe? Why had they seen all of this? Why had they heard all of this and they still didn't believe? Why do our loved ones who have heard the joyful sound? We used to sing in my past tradition, church tradition, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. I've heard the joyful sound. You all know people who've heard that message many times in their life and they don't believe. Why? Why do our friends that have commented on our lives and on our joy and they've expressed a desire that I wish, you know, I wish I could live like you do. Just trusting God, believing. I wish, and they don't. We have friends who struggle with their unruly children, and they comment on our children being raised up under the nurture and admonition of the Lord in the teaching of the Scripture, family worship at night, worshiping God morning and evening on Sunday, catechize. And we tell them that's the answer. God gave us a book. We've, we've sought our best to follow it, and he's blessed us. And they don't accept that as a valid answer. Why not? Why don't they? Well, here's the common answer. Well, they just don't choose to. They will not to. But that's not the answer, folks. The question is, well, why don't they choose to? Why don't they will to? Why is their will not disposed to believe what we believe and to live the way we live as Christians? And the answer is given right here in plain, simple language, black and white, but vivid colors. They can't. I mean, it doesn't get any more pointed, does it? Though he had done so many signs, they did not believe. Here's the purpose of their unbelief, that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Verse 39, therefore, John says, based on that portion from Isaiah 53, they could not believe. Notice it doesn't say they would not. It says they could not. Now, this gets to the, the whole teaching of the Bible is replete with this. Paul summarizes it in Ephesians 2. You're dead in trespasses and sins. Dead people can't. 
It's not that they won't. You never walked up to a casket or to the bedside of someone who's died and say, you know, they just won't get out of the bed. I've been encouraging them. You could if you would. That's bad theology. They won't because they can't. They're dead. That's the way people are spiritually. And that's what, that's what John says. That's what Isaiah is saying. And then he goes on. He pours it on. It's not, that's not enough, John thinks. He's blinded their eyes. Notice he attributes God. God has blinded their eyes. He, God has hardened their hearts. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. We just read it. What came first? Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. Filling the universe. And he said, well, compare the creator and the creatures. You see, the glory of the Lord will either blind you and harden your heart or it will enlighten you and give you a new heart. Isaiah does the same thing or similarly later in Isaiah when he says the word of God. It goes forth and it's just like the rain that falls down from heaven. It falls on the earth and it causes the fruit to grow, the vegetables to grow, the beautiful grasses to grow. But it also causes the weeds to grow. It does not turn, return to the Lord void, empty. In other words, it always accomplishes what God sends the rain for. God sends the rain for weeds to grow in this fallen world. And he sends the rain for the good stuff to grow in this fallen world. And the holiness of God, the glory of God, produces the same bifold effect. It draws some to him, like Isaiah, and it pushes some away from him. They shield their eyes from his glory, and they run from his glory instead of coming to his glory and wanting to be under the, under the canopy of his glory. You say, wow, they won't believe because they can't. So where does that leave them? Well, that's what the latter part of the cha this chapter is about, isn't it? It's about the light shining. Who's the light? The light's Jesus Christ. We'll get there in a moment. The whole message that the Bible gives us is that people can't so they won't. And why did God do it this way? Why did God do it this way? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 9, Paul gives you the answer in really startling and yet simple, if you're willing to read it and just accept it, language. He says it's really twofold. He did it this way to show us how heinous and treasonous the nature of sin is. You say, boy, he went to some radical ends to show us how terrible sin is. Yeah, 
But if he didn't, what would we do? Well, let me ask. Even though he did, what do we do? We call sin disease. We call sin addiction. We call sin mistakes. We call sin a struggle. We call sin and on and on it goes, right? We won't recognize it for what it is. That it's, it's against God. It's blaspheming his name. It's kicking God in the shins. Speaking anthropomorphically. But we don't, we don't like to think those things about our heinous nature, our sin nature, do we? Everybody should be shaking their heads. No, you're right, Pastor. We don't. We excuse it. We rationalize it. So God says it in vivid, living color. Here's how terrible sin is. It kills you. It deadens your senses. It blinds your eyes. It hardens your heart. It stiffens your necks. That's how terrible sin is. There's no way you can read God's Bible and not come away with, wow, God hates sin. Wow, sin is terrible. I hope you do not go through a day of your life, certainly not a week of your life, without saying, sin stinks. I hate sin. Or even saying to a friend, don't you hate sin? Don't you hate what sin does to man? Just consider your heart. Consider your mouth this past week that we just ended last night at midnight and we've now entered into a new week. How many times did you say that? Well, I hate sin. Don't you hate sin? Sin makes me stupid. Sin makes me do dumb things. Sin makes me stinking in the smell olfactory system of God. That's what sin is. So how many times did you say that last week? How many said it zero times? Don't be honest. But do be honest in your heart. We don't say it as often as we should because we don't think God's thoughts after God like we should. We can't. We're dead because sin is that bad. But the other thing, the other reason that God tells us sin is this bad and has that kind of effect on us, blinding our eyes, hardening our hearts so that we can't see, so that we won't see, and so that God won't heal us is to show that we are absolutely dependent on him and his sovereign mercy for our salvation. Because see, if you don't get sin right, if you don't think sin is really deadening and killing, then you won't, you won't think you need God to do it for you. You'll think you can do it. You'll think you can help God. Well, I could believe if I wanted to. 
I'm almost tempted to say something of an expletive nature to that. Anyone who's ever said, I, 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 could, I, could, I could believe in Jesus if I wanted to. That is, that, is a, that is a slap in the face of God. Because it's a denial of what God says about sin. Do you not believe the Bible when it says you're dead in trespasses and sin? Do you not believe the Bible? Look, folks, you may say, well, that was Old Testament and Isaiah. Well, I'm sorry, John used it. It's in the New Testament. That's where John got it. That's where Paul got it. So God said it this way. He did it this way to show us how heinous and how treasonous sin is. And second, how absolutely dependent we are on God. Real quickly. We've got these curious verses, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed, yet they did not confess it. Because they loved the glory that comes from man more than glory comes from God. Is that possible? To believe and not confess? Well, the short answer the Bible gives is no. But people try to live that way, don't they? Oh, I, I believe. You know, but I just don't buy into that church thing. And I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't, and they go through their, their whole machinations of what they don't, don't believe. Isn't it interesting? I believe, but I don't believe much. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We'll get there soon. Chapter 14. Elsewhere, he said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him when he comes, when the son of man comes in glory. And again, therefore, Jesus said, everyone who will confess me before people, I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Folks, it's not a good thing to stand before God almighty and be denied by Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say? There'll be many on that last day who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. That's who these people are right here. They, they had an easy believism view of faith. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But it didn't change their lives. Didn't make a difference. And they certainly didn't talk about it. After all, we live in the secret city. We don't talk about those kind of things. These men had a profession but not a possession of faith, and so they remained in spiritual darkness. Second point, the latter verses. Spiritual light is about the ability of Christ and his word. Spiritual darkness is about the inability and unwillingness of man. Spiritual light is about the ability of Christ and his word. It's very simple. Look what he says. Jesus returns to the scene now. John returns to what he has to say. Verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, notice the emphasis, he cried out and said, 
John doubles up on it here because Jesus doubles up on it. There's an urgency, there's an emphasis here. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. See, they were, they were setting Jesus up against God. And Jesus says, no, wait a minute. If you believe in me, then you believe in God. Because if you see me, you've seen God. He's going to say this again in chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And in his prayer in chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, verse 17, he's going to say, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, there's the answer, folks, to your friends who say, well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in Jesus and all this stuff about him being incarnate and perfect and sinless and needing to go to the cross and die. But I believe in God. Jesus says, can't be. You can't deny me. You can't not believe in me and believe in God. God the Father and I are one. Remember, we saw that a few chapters ago. So you can get that one right out of the way when your friends come back to you with that one. Here's where you go. Jesus says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Isn't that marvelous? Paul picks up on this in Colossians. And he says that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the domain or the kingdom of his son. That's how radical salvation is. That's how radical conversion is. A, you can't and you won't, so he does because he will. He's able and he's willing to save his people from their sins. That's the reason any of us are sitting here this morning in the light of Christ, enjoying the brilliance of his, his presence with us. Is because he could and he would. Because we couldn't and we wouldn't. Imagine that for a moment. A creature. A mere creature. Who has no ability and no desire. And a God who has all ability. And a loving desire stoops down, as it were, and plucks us out of the fire. That's the God we worship. That's the God we love. And notice, he says that he's a light. This is not the first time this light thing's come up, has it? John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. Notice the order there. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me, that's faith, that's believing, will not walk in darkness. Now, how can we believe? Well, John's already built an airtight case on this one all the way back to the beginning. Whoever believes in him will be received as sons of God. And then verse 13, John 1, that's verse 12. John 13 says, but it's not because of anything in you, it's because you're born of God. And how are you born of God? Chapter 3 tells us that it's of the Holy Spirit who sovereignly 
singularly gives us a new birth. And when he does that for us, we will believe. But we not only will believe because he could enliven us, but we will follow him. That's the whole, that's the whole, that's the ordo salutis right there. That's conversion, faith and repentance, and that's sanctification, following Christ. And it's all because he birthed us. He gave us new life. The light shined on us. I am the light of the world, he who follows me. But what about people who live their lives rejecting Jesus, the light? Well, as I've already said, they don't just reject Jesus, but they reject God, too. And they stand in judgment. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. We've already considered this before. Jesus ultimately is the judge of the world, but his primary purpose in coming was to save his people from their sins, not to judge the world. We stand under judgment. That's already in place. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. What's the judge? The very words Jesus spoke. And the words of Jesus are inseparable from Jesus, just as Jesus is inseparable from the Father. And God the Father gave him the words to say. Those very words condemn us. They judge us. Word I've spoken will judge him on the last day. Why is that? Because I've not spoken on my own authority. This is, this is God speaking to you, Jesus says. The very word of God condemns you. So the light shining in your dark hearts will either commend you through faith or condemn you through unbelief. But the whole point here is, folks, we can't, and he can. We're dark, and he is light. So, back to those first questions. Has the light of the gospel burst upon the darkness of your sinful heart? Are your stiff necks relaxed by the love of Christ? Have the scales been peeled off? Notice I say peeled off, not fallen off. This is not a natural occurrence. This is not something you can do. But have they been peeled off of your eyes so that you can see the wonderful words of life that Jesus has spoken? And finally, has the light become the guide for your life as you live in this dark world? The light of course, of the world is Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you trust him? If you do, it's because he made you alive. He shined in your hearts. He penetrated 
your dead, cold hearts. That's amazing, isn't it? Now let's pray for others who need that same penetrating love of Christ. Father, we do pray for anyone, even in this room, who's in need of Christ and the light shining, that you would burst suddenly upon them, just like that bright light that shined down on the road to Damascus and pierced the hard, cold, dead apostle Paul's heart when he was Saul and made him this great preacher of the gospel. May it happen to everyone in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen.